editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. So you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio, my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. Just uh, getting started here on a Thursday. Yeah, man. I, I think we have a pretty packed show. I, I typically, first of all, I know how long these topics should take. I didn't write them down. You know that that's very dangerous for us. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think I have a good idea about the way that this show is going to look. But if you are watching via Facebook Live, we appreciate you guys as always. If you would like to do so, all you have to do is go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk Radio Show. You could pretty much do the same thing on Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. The one thing that would be different is our Twitter. Our Twitter is at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, our Twitter is at Talk That Talk LV. Let's get right to it. My mom's tip in. I really, really like this one. This is probably from a couple of days ago. The same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. It's about what you're made of, not the circumstances. Let's read that one again. The same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. It's about what you're made of, not the circumstances. I like that one a lot for a couple of different reasons, uh, but we can go ahead and hop right into the show. Uh, I just listened to a podcast recently. First, first of all, I typically try to do this. Let's start with a with a little anecdote, right? So I'm at work yesterday, as a matter of fact. Have you noticed anything different about the show in the last month or so? In terms of my notes and even the the clips that I that I make note of, have you noticed anything different in the last month? Because I have been literally, I I, I feel I will feel away if you if you're able to identify it. I haven't honestly noticed anything different. I wonder if my parents have. Um, Matt, you know I'm a pen guy. If you flip back through these notes, these notes are in different types of pens. Some of these pens have died on me while I'm writing. And I just got, and typically I have pens that I switch in and out, right? I came across a stretch where I just had like six bad pens, like in a, like in a, like a, like a bundle. I'm like, ain't no way in hell. Especially a person being a pen guy. I'm at home too, like. I like to have a certain like type of pen. I got some Sharpies in my bag. I have gel pens. I have uh, the Pentel uh, fine point pens. I have different pens for different reasons. All my Pentel joints are bad. I got like 12 of those. All of them are bad. So I'm like, what's going on? What the hell is happening? I'm at work. I'm in the uh, manager's office. I think I'm doing a, a, a checkout. So I'm, I'm getting some, some cash. I look at this pen and I seen it on one of my managers, like manos or whatever, like little shells. All right, cool. They asked me to write down something for something completely different. I'm writing the manager who I see the pen on her shelf. She walks in. I was like, this is your pen, isn't it? Both of my managers was like, well, I have one and she has one. 
I was like, I know I'm new, but who loves me? My manager that was standing up was like, it's just a pen. You could take it. I said, oh, you guys must not know me. Matt, I have not let go of this pen since yesterday. This has changed my life. So I just wanted to get a little personal antidote about myself being extremely weird about pins. The funny thing is, I just told this story and I know for a fact my dad is at home nodding his head. Like, I get this pin fetish from my dad. So are you the same person that kind of looks at me like it's just a pin? You do you. Um, it's not just a pin, Matt. You don't understand. Do you see this pin? Do you see this beauty? D dad, do you see this beauty? Do you guys see this excellent pin? That's actually, this is not an ad. I probably shouldn't have did that. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Let's get actually to, um, you know what's funny? Between this pin story, my eyelash story, there are probably going to be some stories from the end of this last quarter. We're going to look back on it and be like, yeah, what the hell were we thinking? Anyway, um, I had to kind of lighten the mood a little bit because I did know that we were starting relatively serious. Um, one of the things that we talk about on the show all the time is when news breaks, uh, Oftentimes, we are put in a tough position to address them right away. And um, obviously, as we were walking in a couple of maybe last week, um, <clears throat> we had like another video surface. But uh, more details have come out. Obviously, the uh, my dad texted me and said, yep, see, there, there, there goes life. Um but the body of Grant Wall was returned home earlier this week and a cause of death was uh, recently announced and it is described as an aortic aneurysm, according to his wife. Um, I believe I, I, I was reading a document where the doctor where there was a doctor who said that something like that. Uh, builds over years and builds over time. Um, I would like to. In fact, his wife is a doctor. Dr. Celine Gounder. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that name. I apologize. Uh, but we had a conversation about it. And. His brother came out with a video, right? Well, we believe to be his brother. I don't believe anybody has said that that video was fake. And that's just obviously the, the day and age that we're in. But we gave our initial thoughts on um, just the immediate aftermath of it. And I would like to address my feelings about it. And I would like for you to um, obviously address yours as well. Do you want to go ahead and start? Uh, either way is fine with me. You can go ahead and knock it out. Hit me hit this water there. So, I mean, like you said, it diagnosed as a an aortic aneurysm. I'll say that three times fast. Okay, it's, I refuse to. <laughs> um, so, I guess backtrack a little bit on what I said about the situation. I originally thought there could be foul play within play of this whole situation, uh, mainly because of. Some of the pieces that uh, Graham Wall had did on, or Grant Wall, excuse me, had did on Qatar and some of the protocols that they have take they took as a country in leading up to the World Cup 
uh, dealing with migrant workers and stuff like that. I thought, you know, if Grant Wall had a big enough platform and he's in a foreign country, anything can really happen. I mean, we've seen that come at, you know, the forefront essentially with the whole Brittany Griner situation as far as other countries you can't say certain yeah if you're in those other countries you're kind of playing by their rules and to hear that (coughs) excuse me uh it in fact wasn't necessarily foul play but it was rather a health condition that had built up over time um i would be more curious to see if this is something genetic or if it was something that was built naturally in the body due to whatever factors it may be, whether that's stress, you know, poor eating, um, stuff like that. Um, or it's one of those that is genetic, and if you have it, you have it. I mean, you could be the healthiest person and still have it type of situation. Um, I will say I think if it's not genetic and it's something that is developed and a lot of it is maybe stress-related or something similar, I think it's another case to where, I mean, we we just saw it recently outside of the sports world. It's another case where people got to check up on their people because there's a lot of, and maybe people don't understand it to the fully, but there's times where, you know, covering sports for, especially for a living, um, can take a toll on you both physically and mentally. Um, you know, there's, there's times where you're really worried about asking a certain person a certain question because you, you're kind of gauging what that response may be or anticipating maybe what that response is going to be, you know, thrown to the fact that a lot of those, um, interactions between the media and, you know, players or coaches, a lot of times are are put out on social media for the world to see, televised nationally by some broadcast for the world to see. Um, so naturally, there's a lot of pressure, I think, there. Um, and may, maybe the culmination of all that finally caught up to Grant Wall. And if that's the case, that's a very unfortunate situation because it's something that I think happens probably more than it's talked about in the industry. And a lot of times the approach is just, you know, get through it and tough it out, essentially. It's really interesting that you say that because I I don't want this to be a ditto moment, but it it, it essentially is. Uh, I'm happy that you brought it all the way around to which you did because that was where I was actually going to start. So I don't necessarily have to do that. I will kind of mirror exactly what you said. Uh, initial reports, I mean, initial, yeah, based on initial reports, and then the the, the follow-up on the video from what we, I'm, I'm still going to say what we believe to be his brother, and I don't mean any disrespect by it. Um, but we heard, obviously, uh, or we believed that, I'll, I'll speak for myself, I definitely believe that, that, that some foul play could be involved and the reason why I said that is because it wasn't to pinpoint it on anybody specifically. I never said a name, but as we just said before, pardon, oftentimes this is not a shot at Grant Wall by any means, but oftentimes people go to other countries and aren't really aware of what you can and cannot say. 
I don't believe Grant Wall was one of those people. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm getting back to your point that you actually finished off with. That was where I was initially going to take it. I feel like, and by the way, I'm doing some reading up on it. His wife said that there was nothing nefarious about the situation, so there was nothing criminal about the situation uh, based on her. Um, in, uh, can I say investigation? I guess you, I guess I can say investigation. Um, this is not a medical show by any means. I will try to read this word. I'm literally going to try to sound it out uh, in a lot of these words. But you know what? Let me not even do it because I don't want to sound ignorant. But what I will say is it appears that it it what the rupture was caused by was an acute buildup of blood that would build up in the pericardial cavity. So we won't be able to say, at least I'm not going to go ahead and, and finish this entire document. It is This is a CNN article I'm reading. This isn't an ad, but it's the truth. Um, and I want to talk about just the field of work that he was in, right? Because this is not to take a shot at, at us because we've obviously ventured out past sports as well. But I had a conversation with somebody earlier today and the stress of this job, as you said before, isn't talked about enough. And when I said I didn't want to throw a shot at us, um, because like I said, we ventured out before, but I can't speak for you, but in my history of covering things that have nothing to do with sports, that's the stress. Figuring out that there was a coat on campus that was recruiting young women that was posing as a church, that was stressful. Walking into campus and seeing evangelists yelling at teachers, that was stressful. Covering car accident was car, cover, covering live car accidents were stressful. I remember being here on campus and having to cover the October one tragedy. This is where I will just be as transparent as I can. The the review journal came in and did uh, an article with us and was just trying to figure out what our experience was like covering it. I was new to the newsroom, but ironically enough, I was the one that was sent to go to the actual site. So much for being a sports guy, right? Um, I smoked a cigarette that day. Really? Matt, when have you ever seen me smoke a cigarette? Yeah, never. I'll be completely honest with you guys. I have smoked two cigarettes in my life before that, and I was extremely drunk both times, and I was trying to save myself. That's just me being honest. I realized I was walking through the Mandalay Bay, looked down at my hands, and was like, you're shaking. I bummed a cigarette off of somebody, looked at the gentleman next to him, and said, now, by any chance, do you have a lighter? I told the RJ, I realized very quickly then, everybody wanted the story. Nobody gave a shit what I went through to get it. I learned then. The stories that you just spoke about, that Grant Wall was covering out there, that's stress. 
that's a certain place he had to take himself to tell those stories. I'm grateful to Grant Wall for what he was able to accomplish while he was here. To find out that Grant Wall was the writer of LeBron's Sports Illustrated story, cover story. Grant, I've read your work. I never knew that. It wasn't until this tragedy for me to find out about some of the work that he was doing on migrant workers, migrant workers in Qatar. Then you look at his history and go, oh, this wasn't a new thing. You talk about checking up on your people and it couldn't be more true at a time like this. Finding out the cause of death, that hurt. I didn't know Grant Wall. But to know what field of work he was in, the stories that were told to him, this is the interesting part that I don't think people talk about. He carried with him, good, bad, or indifferent. Those are now his stories to tell. And he did a damn good job doing it. None of us, including myself, thought about what he had to go through to get him. So, as you just said before, uh, very unfortunate. Um, amazing how people can be, pardon, can be remembered and legacies can be furthered based on work that people did when they were here. It's just amazing to see. And I don't know if we miss Salim Dweck. Shout out to our Florida man fact checker. I don't know if we miss if we miss Alex White, who, by the way, came up big recently. Um, this show, I have got to figure out a different way to lead off. Because just going to sports after topics like this. How, how how are we supposed to do it? But I think it's worse to end the show with it. So I don't know what's going on at this point. Um, I guess we go to the to the team that was live tonight, right? It's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, finishing off a two game road trip this time in your hometown. I'm not gonna lie to you. I, I, this is gonna sound funny. I thought you were gonna go to Chicago. You have family out there. It's a little different. Like, it's different when the Raiders go to SoFi because I'm like, I'm next door. I can go. But you don't get to go home often, and maybe it'll happen next year, but you're going to end up covering a Blackhawk game. Well, a Vegas go tonight Blackhawk game in Chicago. I just hope you realize that. Anyway, that was just my personal opinion. I was watching like two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, when is he going? But anyway, the road trip wrapped up in Chicago, and Vegas ended this road trip 2-0. How'd they do it? Yeah, well, 
thankful. I mean, for starters, I'm from here locally. Myself. Let me answer that back. You're, you have family from there. Correct. Yeah. So there, there's definitely family ties there. Um, it's more like a second home for me, I guess. See. Um, but I'm going with you guys next time. Telling you. Hey. <laughs> come one, come all. Let's um, do it. No, I think they um, they surprised me a little bit. Um, I said going into the two game trip, uh, I would be okay if they split these two games. I felt of the two, Winnipeg was going to be the tougher game, and it kind of was. Um, I felt in the Winnipeg game, Vegas made – it was one of those games where Vegas made just enough plays to win, but you could certainly learn a lot of areas you need to clean up going down the road. Um, it's always easier to learn those lessons in a win uh, than a loss, and I think that's kind of what happened with Vegas on – Didn't Bruce say that in week two? He probably did. Knowing Bruce, he he probably mentioned that at some point. That's right. Um, you guys are becoming one and the same. You see how that works? I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm one that's a huge Bruce Cassidy fan. By the way, the you more that both. the more that uh, he coaches for Vegas and the more interviews he does post game, I, I kind of like Bruce's style. He appears to be the same guy, right? Every single time. So at least at some point, you don't think he's BSing you. No, he's he's giving it to you straight. Uh, the only way he knows how and. I think it's kind of remarkable what this team's doing as of recent, and they keep getting more injured as we progress. Um, tonight, another hit to the forward lines. Um, Paul Cotter goes down with an upper body injury. Obviously, no timetable being put on him yet. Uh, Bruce said they're going to wait till they get back to Vegas to further evaluate him, but obviously didn't return to the game. Happened in the later portions of the second period, so... You're getting, excuse me, getting pretty thin on guys you can pull up from the Silver Knights. Um, I mean, at some point, you're gonna have to. I mean, it's gonna the roster is gonna look pretty interesting at some point. I think, especially if doesn't it look interesting now? It it does. I mean, you've got uh, Daniil Marimanov playing more. You've got uh, Braden Pachel. I hope I said that right. Um, playing, I believe his. Second game, right? Second game with the Golden Knights. It may be his third or fourth game total in the NHL. I think it was fourth. Yeah. Because I was say your last story said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who, by the way, got his first NHL point tonight on an assist. So, um, good to see him getting involved in the scoring a little fourth bit. Fourth game. Good job, man. I, I knew it had to be less than five. I was like, I remembered looking at that stat the other day, and I was like, this guy has barely played in the NHL. Um, you got and that's kind of where the Knights are at. Like, they have a lot of these guys that they're pulling up from Henderson, and some of them have experience, but others don't have much NHL experience. They're still very new. They're still getting their sea legs under them, and a lot of them for the first time, I mean, they're they're coming out of the AHL system, and they're coming into an NHL system midseason and asked to fill starter minutes. Well, I mean, you just talked about it right now and all of these young guys, but tonight they they relied on some of the crafty veterans to get this done. You text me after a specific goal. I mean, Riley Smith had two of them tonight. But go ahead and talk to me and explain how these vets carried them to victory. Well, I call them the, the OG vets because they were, ironically enough, the, the three stars of the night, or at least the announced three stars of the night, were all – on the roster for the inaugural season of the Golden Knights. You had Riley Smith have two goals tonight. You had 
William Carlson assist on two of the goals. You had Jonathan Marchessault assist on two of those goals. And all in all, I mean, Riley Smith, one of those goals was a shorthanded goal. So if you ever were looking for a, a boost to the penalty kill, which it's desperately needed, I think coming into the game, they were ranked 25th in the league. I knew you were going to it, and that's why I didn't want to type in the middle of it. But I'm like, I got to pull this up before Matt talks about it. I'm checking right now. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely the bottom third of the league in penalty kill. But something that has been steadily making progress in the right direction, the VGK power play is getting better. Uh, in the month of December, they have converted eight of their 20 power play opportunities. That's good for 40% on the power play. And that alone, ha and I mean, you have that and you look at the fact that they've scored a power play goal in six of their eight December games so far, and the fact that they're now 12th in the league, if not better, on the power play. They're, well, first of all, they're 24th in penalty kill. Hey, we moved up a spot. So, <laughs> I was about to say, so there goes that, right? And they are now 10th. You said 12th? They are 10th now in power play, in the so power the, play. So now they've cracked the top 10 in the power play in an area that has been in dire need of improvement for a long time. And maybe the maybe that alone was heard loud enough by Bruce Cassidy to make adjustments because since we turned the calendar to December, the power play has been really efficient. And even games that they're losing, their power play looks pretty good. Like, you lose, obviously, 3-1 to one to Boston the other night. That one goal was a Mark Stone power play goal. And so even in Another losing – yeah, I mean, even, even in losing efforts, you're getting production out of your special teams. And slowly, I mean, I think the penalty kill is going to kind of follow the power play a little bit. I do think we're going to be talking about this penalty kill being in the top half of the league before by the end of the year, at least at some point. Maybe, you know – that 10 to 15 range um, just because I think they had such a rough start to the year that sometimes it's an evening out effect and the healthier you get, I think that's going to help only help Vegas and with how beaten and battered they've came into this game, their defense played surprisingly well. And they really, this was one of those rare games that I've seen in at least in the past, the last handful of games where it didn't feel like they were leaving Aiden Hill or Logan Thompson out to dry. Interestingly enough, because I was headed right there, the last line of defense is obviously the guy in between the pipes, right? And when you when you want to talk when you want to talk about penalty kills and even when the Knights are on a power play and how they've improved this season, uh, definitely from when the time that I was there. Um, but that seems like a decade ago. It was end of October. Really? That okay. was Nevada Day. It's okay, you're about to be back um, Monday. Yeah, look at how life works. Um, hey, I think they're undefeated when you're in the building, so. Oh, I think you're right. Oh, what pressure do I have now? Uh, speaking of pressure, it appears that as the the season wanes, the pressure's going to be on Logan Thompson, right? That's going to be the guy Bruce Cassidy said he expected at some point to make a decision. I'm thinking that this decision is coming now or is going to come in the coming weeks because we talked about it, probably the, the turn of the calendar heading into January 2023. I think Logan Thompson to be in between the pipes more often than not, uh, as opposed to Aiden Hill. Now, tonight, I believe it was 25 saves. Am I wrong? 24 saves. Yeah, 25. 24 saves. Now, on the year, he's tied for fourth. 
in terms of wins. He has 14 on the year. Pardon, what, what the hell is going on with me tonight? Same thing. I mean, everybody's got it. <laughs> what is going on? So, as of right now, in addition to that, he is tied for 17th in terms of save percentage, but it is .918. It's a good decision to go ahead and go at Logan Thompson in between the pipes, right? No offense to Aiden Hill. I think so. Um, Logan's been a little bit more consistent than Aiden. Um, but even still, Aiden Hill's been a – I mean, if if, you're t- if we're talking about Aiden Hill being the backup goaltender, that's a pretty good backup option to have in your back pocket. Given He's 37th in the league for whatever it's worth in terms of save percentage, which is still above 90%. It's hovering right up under 91%. And so I think – Logan Thompson, for one, almost had another shutout tonight. He was very close to it. Uh, gave up a goal with less than f- five minutes to go in the in the game. Up until that point, he had shut out Chicago for a total of like 116 minutes. Going back to their earlier meeting on, I think October 13th, uh, the season or the home opener for the Golden Knights. That was a 1-0 victory for Vegas. So over 100 minutes, really even over 110 minutes of pretty much perfect hockey from Logan Thompson in terms of keeping Chicago off the scoreboard. And that was one of those, uh, the third period was kind of strange in a sense to where there weren't any TV timeouts in the third period. There was just really no stoppages. And so you couldn't really find a time to take a TV timeout. So they, I mean, I think Bruce and a couple of the guys, you know, they said it post game, they looked up, they were like, damn, we got five minutes left to go. Damn. All right. Everybody wants to get out of there. We've seen it. Some we we're in the Mountain West. I think that's what Bruce said. That um, you know, he, the guys kind of just looked at each other on the bench. Are like, yeah, we'll take a few shifts each and get on out of here. Go back to Vegas. And so everybody else wants to. These refs definitely do. Yeah, just you know, every, if that mean if that means everybody plays a little bit extra on a shift or whatever the case may be to ride it out, or you you play a little bit cleaner. Um, you know, I I think. Uh, you you do what you got to do sometimes, especially if you're Vegas in that situation to get to the end of the game. You're you're up um, at one point in time three zero in the third period. Um, you know, game feels like you're it's pretty steadily in hand. Um, and that's not to say that Chicago didn't play a decent game tonight. I think Chicago played for Chicago standards. I think they played an above average game for Chicago standards. And I say that because that's like, a backhanded compliment, by the way. I, I know, but if you look at Chicago's record and you look at like the, you know, for instance, the, the goalie they had in that tonight, you, a lot of people may have thought the game was going to get ugly and it didn't necessarily, but Vegas didn't also really keep Chicago in the game that long either. It was kind of one of those middle ground games where um, Vegas was making really good plays to keep control of the game. Uh, but Chicago was also generating some really good chances that, I mean, very easily could have gone in. So, I mean, you got to give credit, I think, where credit's due, where, you know, the defense stepped up a little bit tonight after having a rough probably five or six games um, in different areas where they just weren't clearing the puck as much as they should, um, you know, giving Logan Thompson or Aiden Hill a little bit of an extra breather when needed um, and really making sure they limited the those odd man situations that Chicago was getting and um, – you know, kind of just playing in front of their their goaltender. And so all that, I think, you know, kind of formulated to a, a solid win. But, um, you know, it still came down to the defense making plays, Logan Thompson making some saves that needed to be made and, um, you know, kind of reassuring that, you know, it, it for those that watched the game that it was pretty clear by probably the 
end of the second period, maybe the beginning stages of the third, th- that Vegas was pretty firmly in control of this one. You talked about Logan Thompson making the saves when he needed to make the saves. He's played in 20 games this year. That would mean that he's not – he doesn't have 14 wins unless either NHL.com is wrong or ESPN is wrong. Either way. According to ESPN as of right now, he's played 20 games this year. How many games has Logan Thompson allowed one goal or less? Has he allowed one goal or less? He's got 20 starts. I'm going to guess it's probably 15. With one or less? With one or less. Way off. Higher or lower? Lower. 10? Lower. 8? You're hovering. He has six. Well, probably seven if you include tonight, because I don't think it... Probably will be seven if you include tonight. As of right now, it's been two shutouts. I actually can go through and give them to you, too. Because as of right now, this is the weird part, because ESPN has it listed. And it will be 20 games. So, I don't know if NHL.com is wrong right now. But, anywho... I'll go through and tell you which games he's given up one or less. You want me to go starting the night or you want to start in the top of the season? Top of the season. Top of the season. All right. So one goal or less, he shut out Chicago. Allowed one goal against Toronto. Shut out the Ducks. I was at that game. Allowed one at home against Arizona. Less than a week later, allowed one against Ottawa. And then one against Chicago tonight. I wonder, well... You want to know the rest of the numbers? No, no, no. I think... Well, he does... Some of these numbers are bad, guys. In hindsight. Good gosh. I guarantee you a lot of those numbers are on the road, though. All right, you want to go through? All right, let's see. You you want three or more? What do you want? Four or more? There's a couple of fives in here. Three or more. Three or more. Allowed three on the road in L.A., but it was a 4-3 win. Allowed three on the road in Calgary. It was a 3-2 loss. Allowed three at home against Colorado. That was a 3-2 loss. Allowed four on the road against Ottawa. That was a 5-4 win. Allowed three on the road in Toronto. That was a 4-3 win. Matt, you're kind of on to something. You'll see what I'm doing here in a second. (laughs) If I don't already. Uh, Allowed four on the road in Buffalo. That was a 7-4 win. Allowed three at home against San Jose. That was a 5-2 loss. Allowed four on the road against Vancouver. That was a 5-4 win. <laughs> I get what you're doing now. There were five. He allowed five at home against Vancouver. That was a 5-1 loss. Allowed four on the road against Pittsburgh. That was a 4-3 loss. Allowed three on the road against Boston. That was a 4-3 win. Allowed five at home against the New York Rangers. 5-1 loss. And allowed three against Boston a couple of nights ago. And that was a 3-1 loss. So all those home losses you mentioned, did anything stick out to you? Not necessarily about what he gave up, but what his team did on the other side? Yeah, I get the point. That was a really fun game. I I mean, I told – after the Boston game, I told my dad, because I had done the number breakdown. Because at this point, the elephant in the room became very loud after the Boston game as, no, Bruce, y'all stink at home. And Bruce kind of, without admit it, directly saying it, he's like, yeah, yeah you're, not, you're not wrong. Um, and I told my dad, I said, the only thing I can chalk it up to 
is Vegas is trying to win a lot of 2-1 hockey games at home for some reason because they can't seem to get over two goals on offense when they're on home ice. All those games you just read off, in each of those home games, they didn't have more than two goals on offense. At a certain point, while I understand a lot of those are still home losses and losses on Logan Thompson's record, that's also a lot to ask out of Logan Thompson to consistently, particularly at home, only allow one goal and pray that your offense can get you at least two goals to win. Especially when, like you just said a second ago, you're winning six, five games in hostile ter- territory. So the, the, as you just said before, the offense clearly is, it, it can be there. And at times it has been there. I think what becomes interesting about this is we've seen teams and I don't want to compare the Knights to them. However, I'm going to compare the Knights to them. In no sport, first of all, do, in my opinion, do you ever see a team, especially in the NBA, who gives up 112 points throughout the regular season and or at home throughout the regular season and on the road they're giving up 99 and then the playoffs come and it switches? Very oftentimes you've showed us who you are in, a, in, 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 the, in the regular season because it's a more than a handful of games, right? Now – Looking at the Knights, I asked you this last week. I said, how often do you see a team in hockey be one of those Final Four teams without playing well at home? And you said it doesn't really happen. So, as you just said before, there's, based on what you said before, even at the very least, even if Bruce Cassidy disagrees with you, cool, there's a problem afoot. One or the two. So either it's what you said, and you guys are expecting to win low-scoring games at home, or that means something is going completely wrong on the road, and you're not planning on giving. You're never planning on giving up five, six goals, right? But you're okay with winning shootouts on the road. It can't be the stark opposite at home. I think that's a recipe for disaster. And I mean, I don't. I think there's enough substance and a lot of, and enough numbers behind the fact that it, it's clear to even the average hockey fan that just looked at straight numbers, they didn't watch any games or anything, that Vegas statistically is worse at home than they are on the road. For I mean, for one, they're eight and seven straight up at home. If we're talking wins and losses, that's the weirdest record for a team top of the league ever. And for supposedly having one of the best atmospheres and the best buildings in the league. I'm sorry, pause. Can I pause for a second? We're not going to talk NBA uh, NBA level, right? However, did you see the Golden State stat before they played Milwaukee in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. At the time, they were 11 and two at home, two and 11 on the road. Ta-da! Middle of the road team, literally. But I'm sorry, talk to me. I did see Milwaukee tonight, by the way. Oh, I did too. They got skunked. I wish I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I wish they didn't see Ja. Yeah, no, Ja Ja put it on them. Uh, But, I mean, you know, Vegas, they're 8-7 and at home. After tonight, they're 14-2-1 on the road for the season. Yep. Damn near perfect. So, at a certain point, well... Maybe some of the guys don't necessarily keep tabs on that type of stuff, you know, as far as what they are on the road versus what they are at home. They just, you know, view it as another hockey game. 
at a certain point in time, it's got to start creeping into the locker room that we're not as good at at, at home than, as we are on the road. And I think Vegas is coming up on a pretty perfect opportunity to kind of, you could say right the wrong a little bit, especially at home. They've got four straight at home. The interesting thing about athletes is you just talked about it, and the funny thing is, as you just said, some pay attention to it, some don't. If we were to talk to Mark Stone, for instance, I don't think Mark Stone pays attention to the stats. He may pay attention to that Jonathan Marshall Salt is probably another one as well, who probably don't know exactly what they are in the standings, but from my history, athletes feel it to a certain degree. The Vegas Nighthawks, they knew that they were better on the road. Like, they were paying attention to the fans and was like, they let us know. Like, when we don't see them, we know something's wrong. Uh, but going back to the Knights, I feel like if we were to ask Jonathan Marshall saw or or ask uh, Mark Stone to guess their record. Based on Phil, I feel like both of those gentlemen would say we're probably about 500 at home. Which is and true. most athletes know we've lost twice on the road. I don't know how many we won. But we've only lost twice on the road. So, or we only lost points twice on the road. Let me go ahead and say that because they do have an overtime loss in there. But I could see them identifying with that. And from that alone, based on everything that we know about this team, doesn't matter what that road record is looking like. They're going to say, fam, we call this the Fortress. It don't feel like it. <laughs> As you said before, uh, I forgot which game you were at. But you said that it was pretty much ha- Boston. It was pretty much half and half. I told you before, I have never experienced that in the T-Mobile. I'm not sure how to respond to something like that in the T-Mobile. But for anybody that considers themselves T-Mobile faithful, the Fortress faithful, as of right now, you shouldn't be shocked at this point, but the Knights are still ahead of the Seattle Kraken in the Pacific Division. They are 22-9-1 and on the year. 45 points. This is the best stat of the night, in my opinion. They're on a two-game win streak, right? But they're second in the league behind the Boston Bruins at 48 points. But Boston has lost one. The fourth-place team, Toronto, has lost one at fourth, uh, or excuse me, with 44 points. And the third-place team, the New Jersey Devils, who went on that deep, what was it, 12-game win streak earlier this year? Yeah. They've lost four in a row. So of the top four teams... All of them technically are on a losing streak, except for the Knights. So, I mean, I don't really want to count the next seven teams because the next seven teams are all on win streaks. But as of right now, the top four, the Knights are sitting the prettiest in terms of streak as of right now. But like you just said, they're returning home, so maybe that's a bad thing. They also got a new team that's chasing them in second place. I said ahead of Seattle, right? Yep. Look at how life works. They've actually they've gained a get they've opened their gap on Seattle now to ten points, but Seattle sits third now in the division. Bye. The LA Kings. I'm sure my dad's happy. My dad's sipping is on football tonight, so I don't have to worry about that. Who, ironically enough, they play the week after Christmas. Oh and I haven't even looked at this schedule. Let me go ahead and look at the schedule. Just you guys are gonna figure it out with me in a moment. Just trying to figure out what game I may have on Monday. Buffalo. I'll take it. I think they can win that game. We thought that last time. <clears throat> or two times ago. Whatever it was. Um, 
I'll tell you another team that needs to win. Soon. Is it the G League Ignite? Like very soon. They have they have to. Very soon. The reason why they have to very soon is because everybody, including the head coach, has identified losing as an issue. I will continue to stress, because they continue to stress it at Media Day, this is a developmental group. I was one of the few people, in my opinion, that kind of made sure to, to, to say it in my coverage yeah, but Jason Hart also told us he's a former player. As if we didn't, he reminded us rather he's a former player. He don't really like to lose. <laughs> he understands, but losing is never really in the cards. To have lost eight straight, now headed to the road. As I said before, at least you're playing a team that you've beaten before, right? You've also lost to them, but at least you split the first two so far in the Santa Cruz Warriors. However, this team is in shaky territory right now. Only because, as I asked Jason Hart recently too, how does the coaching staff try not to let the the losing streak seep into the locker room? Because the the guys already hear it; they're not whispers and they're they're not murmurs anymore. It's the elephant in the room. Everybody gets it. Everybody feels it. At this point in time. If this continues to happen, guys are going to become extremely selfish in terms of trying to just raise their draft stock. Now, I do agree with Jason Hart as far as I understand that it's a developmental group. I also agree with the sentiment that at the end of the day, these are still players. If you're going on that court, you probably want to win. I don't think there's a player at any level, at least I would hope not, that is going on the court as, you know, the saying always likes to say, to go have fun. Now, they may have fun if they're winning. I guarantee you it ain't fun if you're losing, though. It becomes hell if you're losing. And especially the way they're losing, finding ways to lose, um, you know, effort being kind of questioned after the last game, um, I said it after the last game. While I think they obviously need to win a game soon, I don't think it's going to happen. And it's because the second a, particularly a head coach, starts to question the effort level of his group, that's that usually doesn't end all that well. And I don't think it leads to winning anytime soon. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they had kind of similar to what the Aces had at the halfway point last year. where That would be amazing. Where they had a coming to Jesus moment, as a lot of people around the organization phrased it. Um, And then after the All-Star break, they came out guns blazing. And obviously the rest is history from there. But Literally. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's going to necessarily be the same case for the Ignite, but I'm I'm pretty interested to see what this team does post-showcase. This is why I want you to rethink, reform, man, and reshape your thinking. I couldn't wait to do this because I was hoping that you didn't come off the point. 
I would like for you, you asked me on Monday if this team was going to win again. Before the turn of the calendar. Before the turn of the calendar year. Yes. Yes. And I said, does the showcase count? No. I want you to reshape your thinking. Does the sh- well, do the showcase games count? For and you record? asked me that on Monday, and I don't want to answer it again because the answer is no. Okay, it, it would Matt, be like, but you're missing my point. It dog. would be like trying to re- win a preseason game. Like that's great. It's At in the preseason. This, point, this is not to be fun. Can they win a scrimmage? It, this is where I'm at, Matt. Can they I win? don't want. Nah, I don't want to joke around, but it's gonna sound like we're joking. I need these gentlemen as a team to go play another team and connect four in anything. I'm the reason why I'm so mad. I played sports. They got to play them on the iMessage game. Dog, I don't <laughs> at some point you need a dub. I'm very gotta, serious, man. Hop on the 2K, hop on Madden, whatever you get. You need a dub. You need a team dub. Go bowl. Go pick another team and just bowl against you need something. Hell, I'll I'll show up to the bowl and Ellie say so y'all could beat me. At this point, this team in all seriousness, needs something to go in their favor. We talked about it before, and I, I told you what was so – these are these are, these are professional athletes. You don't ever want to feel bad for them. There was a moment when Eric Mika was talking during the last uh, post-game press conference, and at some point you start to feel for the guys. Eric said it's disappointing because – I think he said it's actually it's really tough. Because if those other losses don't happen, this one definitely doesn't happen. And the reason why I say it's hard not to feel, uh, not to want to feel um, away for athletes that you cover, is because at some at a certain point you have to read through. You have you have to read between the lines. You have to see through masks you have to see through lies you have to see through all of it right and let's just call a spade a spade there are going to be very few moments throughout a season everybody's not going to be like the aces and tell us nah we had a moment like in the locker room we had practice whatever the case we on the flight home wasn't nobody talking like we had to they will tell us this was the moment for us you know another person had to tell us that maybe not about the players but if he has to sit them to the players and it has it's been a while since we brought him on the show, maybe we should do it soon. Stan Stoti from UNLV baseball. He'll be honest with you and be like, nah, after that game, I told him. And those moments, as I said before, Matt, they've happened for this team already. This is why I said what I said about them needing a team dub of any sort. Eric Mika gave us one of the few moments this year where the veil was off. Not that Eric has ever, in my opinion, ever BS this, but you're a professional athlete. If you are in your head, you're probably not going to necessarily tell somebody, but that was a moment where it wasn't just an Eric Mika thing. He didn't peek, let us peek behind the curtain he ripped it down and was like, nah, this is the way we feel in here. We all have a job, and none of us did it tonight. Shout out to Zaire Franklin because I'm going to bring up the Joe Budden pod, but shout out to the Joe Budden podcast. They had Zaire Franklin on there recently, and <laughs> obviously the Joe Budden podcast is going to be the Joe Budden podcast, but they were like, 
I mean, what y'all say to Carson Wentz last year? And granted, I haven't covered the NFL to the degree that I have this year up until this year. So it's going to be interesting to find out how football players think. And Zaire said in the NFL, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> like, if you play bad in the NFL, it's like you got the cooties. Nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to sit next to you. Like, And everybody was like, damn, and those are your teammates? His response was, well, at this level, you get paid to do a service. And when you don't do that service and it affects other people's pay, yeah, that friendship kind of goes out the window. Eric Mika said we all had a job. None of us did it. The scary part is, <laughs> I don't feel like it's the same way as the Raiders, even as bad as his record looks. In the sense of me saying this, they can't afford to have this happen, right? You would think that this team can't afford to have a lo another loss. I feel like basketball is a little different. Let's say that they lose to Santa Cruz on Friday, tomorrow, which I think is very, very plausible. If they play well, it won't matter. Not that it won't matter. You feel better about it. Because this is why I would like for you to reshape your thinking, which was a long, drawn-out way to get back to it. I think this team is going to get Scoot Henderson back. I did text somebody from the team earlier this earlier tonight, and I didn't get an answer on Scoot Henderson just yet, maybe because they don't know the answer on Scoot Henderson, which I'm not mad at. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But I said it before. I think school will be back for game one of the showcase and possibly all of the games of the showcase. However, I think this team gets at least one win in the showcase. You said, does it count for the record? Matt, I will answer for a third time. It doesn't. This team can't afford to go winless at the showcase. Is it possible that they could? Anything is possible. If I have to put a percentage on it, winless at the showcase, with the way that they've played this season, up and down and everything else, understanding what's at stake, I would give them less than a 30% chance to go winless. You, They can't afford And I'm assuming, and I could be wrong, this is the first winner showcase for myself. I think it's about three games because there's four games. I mean, four days, excuse me. So I'm guessing three games. That's my guess. I could be wrong. Maybe it's like two. I don't think this team can afford to go winless at the showcase. I understand that it doesn't count. They would add it to the losing streak. What happens if they do go winless in the showcase? I think at the turn of the calendar, everybody's playing for themselves. Because, granted, it's a 50-game season. They're not even halfway through it, the weight of the losing streak. Like I said, the fact that you asked, do it count for the record? No, it doesn't. But if they lose all of those games at the showcase, they're going to count it for their streak. That becomes taxing. I used the picture uh, on the last story. Shout out to my guy, <laughs> Duna. Shout out to Duna Hagler, who... 
capture the image that I showed Caprice. Shout out to Caprice. I was uh, asking her if she knew what this picture symbolized and almost represented. And she was like, well, okay. And she was getting ready to give me her answer. It was Cameron Young, Westchester. I will always do it. And by the way, every time I see Amir Johnson at a G League game, I say Westchester. That's just the weird connection that Westchester products have. But every time I say Cameron Young, I'm going to say Westchester. So anyway, Cam was getting ready to shoot a three. And Leonard Miller, who, by the way, as I continue to say, has, I'm sure, elevated his draft stock this season. And he sat out some games. Leonard Miller is under the basket with his hands open and either he's clapping or he's asking for the ball but he's yelling at cam as cam is shooting those are my guys but that picture is a perfect representation of where this team will be in the start of 2023 if this team doesn't get a win so I'm chucking this one up. I'm ignoring that in the corner. I'm getting to the rim. Who cares? Is that because it is a developmental group at the end of the day? And yes. The, and the guys understand that in the back of their minds. In my mind, yes. I think at that point, at the start of the year, let's say that this team doesn't get another victory for the rest of 2022, which is kind of crazy to say. I'm not looking at I'm not looking at Jason Hart. I'm looking at Pooh Jetter. I'm looking at Eric Mika. I'm looking at John Jenkins. I'm looking at these vets on this team, and I'm gonna say, at this point, the coaching staff obviously helps, but at this point, if the locker room starts to slide south, you have to look at the vets that allow it to slide south. And you just talked about it. If it's a developmental group and guys start to play for themselves, at that point, the vets would have to stop caring in order to let it happen. In my humble opinion, I could be completely wrong. We're going to have Pooh on the show soon, and Pooh is probably going to be like, fam, you're crazy. But there is a certain responsibility that Eric has talked about that Pooh has talked about, that Jason has talked about with the vets on this team. This is completely a sidebar. I haven't talked to Pooh about this. Pooh is headed towards being the coach for this Ignite team. Pooh, I believe, turned 39 last month, I believe. Maybe earlier this month. Who would be an excellent addition to this coaching staff? Just completely random. That's why I would be shocked if this team starts to one for all, offer or uh, not all for one, one for all type, but every man for himself. I would look at the vets and be like, what happened? We'll see what happens. This winter showcase. Not to look past the Santa Cruz game, but I, I just told you guys with the way that this team is right now, I think this winter showcase is like a mini all-star break, at least for a reset time. And 
I'll be honest, this is early enough in the year. I think one win, even though it doesn't count for their record, I think it could work wonders for this team and their confidence right now. Is it bad to say that I've – the first thought that comes to mind when I'm looking at how many games this team could win in the season? It's a 50-game season. I thought about 15. Was that 15 to 35? Yeah. I should not be nodding my head in approval. But, yeah. Because like Jason Hart would be sick to his stomach to hear you say that. The reason why I'm nodding my head is because I asked Jason Hart earlier in the year about plus minus. And I've never asked him about it again. Not that he gave me one of those answers like that, but he was just like, I don't care about it. Like, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day... Did you get out rebounded? Did you put the team on the foul line? Did you coach talk, right? Captain talk low key from a guard. So I get it. However, I didn't think I would be at this level of basketball talking like this. It truthfully depends on how this team plays. Well, if they start playing for themselves, then they're screwed. Do they even get the double digits? Yeah. Not in a good way. I I think if they start playing for themselves, I think they're hanging around 15. I think if, because basketball is a long season, if they start to play right, I think this team could go near 500. I was going to say 20 wins. You know what's funny? I don't even know if my math is right in this sense. I'm hovering like 23 and 27. That's where I'm at. I hate to say it. That might be best case scenario for this team as of right now, who's enduring a win, a losing streak like this. Because I could, with the way that they have played this season, I could see this team winning four of six after the, the showcase turning the calendar after all-star break. I could see them going through about like that. So to think about them being 3 and 15, 3 and 12. Let's say uh Let's say turning the calendar. I don't even know how many games they have. Pardon. So they have 3 Oh uh, yeah. So they got 3 games. See, this is not good. Because coming back from the showcase, they're playing your Ontario Clippers from the Dollar Loan Center. Two games in three nights. And I don't think they're getting those. So by default. They would have to win Friday. Let's say that they win Friday. Or they have a winless. If they don't win Friday, they have a winless December. Yeah, there's such is life, right? I don't think they're getting either one against Ontario. I don't. However, things change in the G League, right? Maybe somebody gets called up, things of that nature. But if that team is presently constructed the way that they were when they went to Ontario, I don't think they fixed it by the time that that, that, that they'll be back. Let's say they get the Santa Cruz win. They will be 4-14 and at the turn of the calendar. Do you think at any point there's a time that during an 18-game stretch that the Ignite can win 14 games? 
they could go 14 and 4 over an 18 game stretch? Mm-hmm. No. How many do you think they can win in an 18 game stretch? Max. Six. In an 18 game stretch? Based off what we've been get, we've been showing and what we've Damn, been Damn, Matt. <laughs> we always say if we're going to evaluate teams, evaluate on the body of work they give you. I agree. This body of work ain't great. These last eight games, and, and granted, they've lost their last eight games. These last four games or so, you were at one of them just from the outside looking in. I told you, with the way that the turnover was at the end of the game, shouldn't have been that close. Like, that wasn't necessarily a good game during this stretch. I would say their last four games, three or four games or so, I don't know what I'm looking at, Matt. Earlier this year, this team was losing games that they had a 20-plus point lead. This team was down 20 at one point, losing by four, by six. If this, if this team resorts back to that, maybe I'm pushing it with the 14-4. and four. But let's just say hypothetically they go nine and nine during the eighteen game stretch. At the top of the year, they would be thirteen and twenty three. Doesn't look half bad now. You look like a development group. You've lost ten games, but you've won thirteen. Now let me rephrase that question. Do you think at any point on the other side of two thousand and twenty three? That this team, of 2022, I guess. Do you think that this team can go 9-9 nine and nine at any point from January to end of March? No. And still the max is 6? Six? 6 or 7, take your pick. I'd give you either one. I don't take 7 because I want to get to 9. So I'll take 7, and they would be 11 and what, – what, so they would lose 11. So they would be 11 and 25. I'm not really mad at that either, considering that this team is 3-12 and 12 right now. Nevertheless, final game before the winner showcase tomorrow. Tomorrow against Santa Cruz, 7 p.m. from the Kaiser Permanente Arena. Um, you know what's funny? We're lucky that we live in Vegas because I heard somebody during the last Santa Cruz game call it the KPA, and I was like, oh. That's cool if I say it enough. The Thomas and Mac is the TNM. I call it the TMC, especially because of my ties to LA to LA rather and understanding the marathon continues, of course. Um but I call it the TMC. A lot of people call it the TNM. The Dollar Loan Center is the DLC. T Mobile we call it a fortress. I heard KPA and was like, oh, that could be cool if I have to. Nope. I have to talk myself into it. Vegas has lucked up in calling some of their 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 stadiums and arenas what they've called them. You know what the fear? You know what the, do you know what the sphere is going to be called? Mm-mm. Neither do I. I was hoping you did. <laughs> I know Allegiance called the Death Star. That's hard. Um Let's see if we can figure this out. Mark, D- Mark Davis said it's where opponent's dreams come to die. What about Vegas's? Yeah, I was about to say he may not have taken into account his own team's dreams coming to die. I, I really thought SoFi was in trouble because <laughs> the only team that could really make it come true because we always thought the Rams were n- close, right? 
I looked at the Chargers and I was like, you guys shouldn't want to play in so far. My dad was like, why? Well, not that he's a Cowboy fan. I mean, not that he's a Charger fan, but he was like, why shouldn't they want to play there? Because you guys are looking up at the proverbial glass ceiling. It looks like it's there. It's not. <laughs> Trust me. There, there, There's a cap that Brandon Staley is going to allow you guys to get to. Uh, as of right now, as I said before, the G League Ignite, they are 3-12 and 12 on the year. Eight-game losing streak. They are the third worst team, at least based on record, in the G League. Uh, UNLV basketball. They're definitely not hovering around the bottom of too many uh, rankings at this point, too many defensive stats at this point. And definitely in terms of things that won't don't that won't show on this on, on the stat sheet, this team is full of heart, full of heart, full of hustle. Uh and to be honest, we'll see tomorrow or not tomorrow, rather, we'll see on Saturday if this team is full of revenge. They get San Francisco coming back to town or coming to town after a twenty one point victory last season for the Dons. Are we expecting a victory for UNOV? I think so. But it's a close game. Um, UNLV is going to have to play without Elijah Parquet. Yep, who's out with a knee, and according to Kevin Kruger, out for a while. Yeah, that's a starting guard, by the way, and and somebody who's going to pick up the other team's best player or lead guard, the full full court. That's going to probably have to resort to probably Keyshawn Gilbert at this point, which I'm sure he has no problem. Yeah, I mean Keyshawn's already a defensive menace to start with, so. But they are asking them to do a lot more on the offensive end. So take your pick. They they don't – Golden State – and this is a bad comparison maybe. But Golden State, earlier in his career, they wasn't asking Clay to do a lot of the heavy lifting if Kevin Durant was on the other side. Yeah, but I think Kevin Kruger will tell you any day of the week, we'd rather have Keyshawn's defense than his offense. We can find offense somewhere else. We can't really replica- replicate what Keyshawn does on defense. And so I think – Defensively, I, I do expect a little bit of an increase in responsibility for Keyshawn Gilbert because of the five guys you're going to throw on the floor, he's most likely going to be your best defender, if not your best defender. Um, and quite frankly, I think that's how UNLV is going to win this game is their hellacious defense that has just had, it, it's given every almost every team, if not every team they've faced so far this year, it's given them fits. It's given them trouble and I think that's how they're going to be able to slow down San Francisco. Now, I get that San Francisco uh, only lost by three to New Mexico, another undefeated team, ironically enough, in the Mountain West. Mountain West has three undefeated teams currently with UNLV, New Mexico, and Utah State. And there's only seven teams, I believe, that are undefeated. At I'll least look at that right there. I believe seven or six. I know there's at least three, and they're all in the Mountain West. So I do think that... You know, defense is going to be the name of the game, I think, for UNLV. I've been pretty impressed with their offense. I think their offense the last handful-ish of games, you know, four or five games, whatever it may be, has steadily increased. It's, in you know, picked up its productivity. Um, and they're starting to... They're starting to see results pay off on the defensive side. They're getting those results that they're getting on the defensive end and they're finally cashing them in for some points. Um, we talked about it at the beginning of the year that we we saw how good this defense was. 
they didn't really have much to show for that great defense on the offensive side of the ball. They weren't seven. They weren't converting um, as many of those point those turnovers for points as they should. Um, but that seems to have picked up in recent games. Thirty-one to six in points off turnovers last game against Washington State. And to a degree, I mean, like you said, maybe Washington State laid the blueprint out as far as if you can shoot the three ball well, you may have a chance against UNLV. I don't think that went unnoticed, though, by, by Kevin Kruger and his staff as far as we know we're great on defense except for defending that three. So all we're going to do this week on defense is defend the three. We're running out to shooters. Yeah, if you gotta if you got to knock them into the fifth row to <laughs> defend a shot, by all means, they do not make a three. Well, let me go ahead and say this, that I don't – let me not – well, here comes the jinx. San Francisco only shoots about 31% from three anyway. I do think that as long – I mean, guys, I, I would expect, you know, Kevin Kruger and his staff probably have worked pretty extensively with threes, defending those this week after seeing some of those numbers in the film from last game. If you get that down to about 25% against San Francisco – I think UNLV is going to be very in this game to win. If UNLV keeps them at 65, whoa, they're in trouble. If they keep them at 25% from three, unless UNLV is having a porous night on the other end, I see UNLV winning this game pretty handily. That's I a, can see it as double digits. That's a huge win. If they win this game double digits. If, if they win 65-55, would you be shocked? No, that feels about right. That That's where I'm at right now. That's what it feels like. I could see San Francisco going cold to end the game. That's what I'll say. Um, UNLV has had a habit With respect to the basketball team, because it's not just the basketball team. It's more fans. To where people get excited about early season success, right? Not that they shouldn't get excited, but they should obviously curb their enthusiasm just a little bit in terms of the expectation that they put on teams. In my humble opinion, my allergies are going crazy. In my humble opinion, it sounds like people are looking past this non-conference schedule. And I would be cool with that, kind of, if you are at least looking toward the Mountain West. Matt, people are looking past the Mountain West. And you just talked about it. There's seven undefeated teams in all of college basketball. Three are in the Mountain West. With that being said, we talked about it at the Las Vegas Clash. When Washington State hit the court, we looked at each other and said, yeah, they're playing a Pac-12 school. Then we saw Arizona and Indiana play. And we said, yeah, these are two top teams in the nation. We get it. But with the way that these fans in Las Vegas are talking, this is who you got to see. And with respect to UNLV, their defense is going to keep them in games that they probably shouldn't be in. 
I don't think UNLV is shutting down either Arizona or Indiana for a full 40 minutes. They might not have to in the short term. They don't. But this is why people need to curb their enthusiasm just a little bit. Because San Diego, they're going to look closer to a Washington State than they are to a Life Pacific. Florida State, or Florida State, geez Louise, they definitely would. Boise State, San Diego State, Wyoming, where else do you want to go? And I'm not even. And, and keep in mind, every team that I just named, they're not undefeated. We saw Fresno State, and I know I'm mixing it a little bit, but this is the Mountain West. What did I text you after the Mountain West Championship? All that shit for Fresno State to still win the conference. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be a bulldog right now. Cause you know the way Joe Burrow was smoking that cigar, uh, smoking that cigar after the NC or after the uh, national title game. That's me if I'm anybody in Fresno State. Cause y'all did all that talking. Nine conference, we were one and three. Y'all did all that talking. Where are y'all at? None of this matters with respect to this non-conference schedule. If we have another Marvin Menzies situation. They start the conference slate pretty tough. Let's talk about it. So their conference slate starts with San Jose on the road. Yep. San Jose currently sits at eight and three. Talk about it. Tougher game than you probably think. Over the last couple of years, people were not looking at San Jose State. It's a different story this year. I do think, though, UNLV gets that game. I don't think that— I haven't watched any conference games besides San Diego State. San Diego State's next. Yep. At the TNM, New Year's Eve. Way better than 12 o'clock on a New Year's Day. 1 o'clock. Whatever it is, it was gross the day before—or the day of New Year's. Yeah, I one, bet you coaches started to complain. Like, man, what are we doing? Yeah, it's a 1 o'clock tip-off New Year's Eve at the TNM against San Diego State. Yep. They turn the calendar year. They get a week off. They go to the pit. Which is always difficult to play, even though UNLV has had success recently. Even Marvin Menzies and TJ had success at the pit. Hey, man, but they say it's a difficult place to play. Yeah. They say. Um, they come back home to play Boise. They go, they're remaining at home for Colorado State. They go to Utah State. And that's the first, what, six? That's the first six of the conference schedule. And then I looked ahead, and they got Fresno State after that. So going to start softening up a little bit. I'm not <laughs> – relax. Three, they're three and six right now, Fresno. I mean, look at what they lost. And, the, <laughs> and Wyoming's not much better. They're five and five. That's the game after that. The funny thing is about Wyoming – I've undersold Wyoming the past couple of years, and I have been grossly mistaken. So I'm not doing it again. So that means they're gonna suck this year, right? Maybe. Okay. So let me go ahead and let me go ahead and lean <laughs> lean into that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but no. In, in all honesty, this team, you just talked about it. They have a rough go of things to start the year. Now these first six, what happens if UNLV splits them? You're still thirteen and three. Absolutely. Well, actually, better than that. My bad. Well, because you have two more non-conference games. You're 15-3 and three overall. If you remain undefeated during this non-conference schedule. However, what if those three losses 
coming to San Diego State, New Mexico, and Utah State. Similar to what I said about UNLV football, this is great. I told you guys before, if this team was sitting at, what the hell was it at the time, four and seven, whatever it was, I feel differently if you beat Air Force at home. I feel a little differently. Hell, maybe Eric Harper feels a little differently if you're doing these things. However, it depends on what it's going to look like at the end of the season. And while I don't expect this team to go 16 and 14, sorry, Marvin, over the rest of the season or something along the lines of that, or even 500, whatever it was, I don't know that this team doesn't, I'm not going to say struggle, that they have a tougher time, obviously, with these teams that have seen them relatively uh, often, obviously, considering that they're in the conference. I remember my first year. I keep telling the story about my first years. My first year with UNLV football, I said it. I watched this team lose to Howard Week 1, and I had a look on my face clearly on the sideline because somebody walked by and was like, oh, first year? I looked back at them and I said, "This wait, this happens? Like, often? Because I don't know if I can do this. Like, in all seriousness, I remember watching my first year here at UNLV. I told you before, I prematurely called my dad. Dog, this is what I wanted, man. I wanted to come to UNLV, see good basketball. I watched the rest of the conference season and was like, this ain't what I was signed up for. <laughs> Dog, we're two games over 500. And my dad's like, Marv really played me. <laughs> what happened? And and I didn't have an answer for him. My dad's like, what happened? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. But I don't feel that coming this year. But. Matt, I'm having people talk to me about where are they going in the tournament? In what tournament? Because depending on the rest of this season, if they don't win the Mountain West, they might not see one. I would put the brakes on that one. I think they don't. Depending on how they end this year, Matt, they won't need to win the Mountain West to get in. Depending on how they end this year, Matt, we haven't even seeded the Mountain West tournament. We're not even in the conference schedule. Matt, what if this team completely lays an egg in the conference and wins five games in the conference? I don't think it's going to happen. What happens if it does? And they're seated ninth in the conference. And they get bounced in the quarterfinals around. Uh, 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 quarterfinals again. This team will not receive a postseason invite. Obviously, if they lay that big of an egg. No. I'm, no, but that's what I'm saying. People are talking to me about the NCAA tournament, Matt. And not to be disrespectful, but do they think this is the Lady Rebels? They have to show me. Like, we 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 could pencil the Lady Rebels. They'll they'll be there. They'll be somewhere. We can't do that for this team yet, man. Do I think they have a chance? Hell yeah. I I just think we got to pump our brakes just a little bit. I would go as far as to say they're not going to get swept by anybody this year. I'm not mad at that, but that's still 500 ball if they split all of them. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't think they necessarily split them all. There's going to be some. You said you won't get swept by anybody. Okay. They just won't get swept by anybody. So that means they'll have. And think about this. This is why I say they can make the tournament without having to win the conference. Let's just say hypothetically they split with the the top dogs. Right. Let's, those they, three. Well, I'll, I'll say they split with most of them. They play New Mexico once. Let's say they play really well against New Mexico. Given it's the pit, good success, they might they might be coming in fairly confident. They they snagged that one against New Mexico. 
their wins on their resume that they would be presenting to the NCAA committee. We have a top 25 win. We have multiple power five wins. We beat New Mexico at their place at a time where New Mexico was almost undefeated. We got a regular season tournament championship. We've won a regular season tournament championship. We beat five teams in the Kimpon top 10. Top 100, excuse me. And we're well over the 20 win mark. And our defense is top five in the nation. So you tell me, committee, if you don't think we can play with anybody that you're going to put us against. We told y'all tried to put us against Dayton, and y'all were like, "Up, oh, Dayton's gonna beat y'all. They're gonna come in and do their thing." We handed Dayton an L and knocked them out the top twenty-five, and still haven't touched it. Uh, but the, we'll see. I, I really do think, and the rest of college basketball matters, right? We will see what happens on Saturday. I think if this team gets a win, I said it before. I don't think they're getting ranked. They're going to be ranked after, unless they're already ranked before, by beating Southern Mississippi. But getting a win over San Francisco, preferably double digits, holding them under 65 points, I think it would be impossible to ignore this team. How long do you think the winning streak goes? I think they're going to lose one of the first three conference games. Ooh, interesting. Which one is it? That's San San Jose, San Diego State, and New Mexico. What do you think I'm going to say? Of those three, probably New Mexico. My instincts keep pulling me back to New Mexico. And especially by it being a one-off game. I could see UNLV. I told you I don't expect them to lay an egg, but I could see UNLV going doing fairly well in the conference, and people like EJ the entire season, rest of the conference season, saying, "Yeah, nah, we let one slip against New Mexico." Like I want to see New Mexico again. I can see Keyshawn like, "Nah, we owe them one." I don't necessarily see them winning that game, or I, I could see them winning the game. If I had to lean away in terms of those first three games, I would say that they would lose at New Mexico. I will also add if they met again in the conference tournament, I think UNLV will win. I don't think they're losing their first game until Utah State. That would be what? Not only 15 and 0. That would be 20 and 0. 17 and 0. Oh, because there would be 12 and 0. I'm thinking they're 12 and 0 now. They would be 12 and 0 after their conference schedule. I mean, after the non conference. And then the first five. So you said 17 and 0. That would be insane. And then I think from there on, they could probably win at least the next three, if not the next four. At Colorado State's going to be tough. That's always a difficult game for some reason for UNLV, just regardless of if they play, if if Colorado State's good or bad that year. Tell Bryce Hamilton that. I had the same feeling last year going into that game that I, I don't want to. I don't care what Colorado State looks like on the other side. They could be undefeated. They could be winless. That is a tough place to go play at. But after that Utah State game on the road, you get Fresno, Wyoming, and UNR at home. I don't think we got to wor- worry about this team waking up for UNR, especially after what they did to them last year. Mm-hmm. I feel like. With UNLV, we're headed to over to the Lady Rebels now. But like I said, I feel like with UNLV, fans are the driving force. 
and I don't know if that should be the case in Vegas. I love Vegas fans, but I don't know if it matters, dog. I can't I can't do it understanding that a lot of it is just blind fandom. And I'm cool with it if you guys admit that it's blind fandom. But they don't. You Does it concern you at all you that good. these 10 games for UNLV have all either been in California or Nevada? No, because I think this team, we're going to look at them at the end of the regular season schedule, and we're going to say, damn, that was impressive. I mean, hey, man, I, I I will say confidence is everything. We just talked about it with the Ignite, and I think this team could be headed towards something pretty special if they hang on, right? What do you think their final record is, by the way, before they go to the conference? How many games are they playing total? I forgot. 30. Damn. 30? I had him at about 22, 23. I got 25 and 5. You might be borderline one of those crazy Vegas fans. Five losses? I don't think it's crazy to think about. Give me the five losses. I just had it. Give me one sec. I just closed it out, too. Just get, I, you, I you, it. you know the conference. Give me the conference. Because they're all in the conference, obviously. You got Utah State on there. I got Utah State on the road as a loss. I got Colorado State as a loss on the road. It's two. I got Wyoming as a loss at Wyoming. Okay. Similar to Colorado State. Very no, tough. I'm not place, mad at that. Tough place to go play. At Boise. <laughs> not mad at that. At SDSU. I think you're wrong. Um, they could sweep San Diego State this year. That I- that's even more impressive to their resume. I think that could be impressive, but I, I'd say before I think they could just lose some games that people just don't expect. I, I said New Mexico. Uh, you, I told you I haven't. I knew that San Jose State was different this year. I haven't watched them. You pointed out something that could be interesting. We talked about it with the football team, right? And I know they're different sports, but we've seen it again where teams can come in. First place was on the line when UNLV went to San Jose State for, with football this year. This is basketball. It's a little different, but it's the first conference game. I could see UNLV with respect to the way that this team's makeup is. This is a long season, similar to what I said about the Ignite. This is a long season. I could see some guys going in and saying, well, San Jose, they've never really given us, or they haven't given us, given us an issue in recent memory. If it has, it's one particular player. And I could see San Jose State saying, this is our statement. This is our chance to make a statement. And unless you're expecting UNLV to go undefeated, they're going to have moments this season where teams are like, this is our chance. There may be a San Diego State who's looking at their resume and they're saying, well, hell, we dropped some ones early in the year where we could have made some big statements. This is the team to beat? This is the team to beat? I can see San Diego State not being scared of UNLV. I think UNLV is going in probably the way San Jose that I'm describing San Jose State going again going in going into that UNLV game. I could see UNLV doing it both times against San Diego State, similar to what they did last year with UNR. You watched the way that this team looked against UNR last year, and you said, "Oh, it didn't matter who they had on the other side. UNLV wasn't losing this year." 
I could feel that with this San Diego State. I don't know that I feel that with Boise. I don't know that I feel that with Wyoming. I don't know that they don't lose one to Utah State. You talked about it. I don't know that San Jose doesn't steal one. I don't know, man. But I, I was I was at about 11 wins for the conference schedule. But if I said that, that's where I was about 23, 22. That would mean that they go undefeated in the non-conference. Unfortunately, the Lady Rebels will not be going undefeated in their non-conference, right? But they have a chance for a big-time win on Sunday when they take on the Oklahoma State Cowgirls. Uh, Lenny talked about it, finals week this week, but everybody has uh, appeared to be excited about this game, obviously for multiple reasons. But with UNLV sitting at 9-1, and coming off of a 2-1 and road trip where they went undefeated, in Hawaii, um, what was your takeaway? And if you don't mind, I'm gonna step out of the room really quick, unfortunately. But I'm gonna let you break down the Lady Rebels. So takeaway was kind of what I had said before they went on the road trip, which was the fact that we were gonna learn a lot about what this team looked like after the four game road trip, and I think we still will. I think the Oklahoma State game is going to give us a really good sense of where this team's at um mainly because they'll have had the last four games on the road um you know we had chatted with lindy uh at the tail end of their homestand which was the championship game of the unlv thanksgiving tournament and she said yeah you know we've had the first you know handful of games you know six seven games at home but at the end of the day it's time to take our show on the road and i think that's kind of the mentality that this team has adapted to. And you, you can see in some of those games, you know, even against the Hawaii uh, Hilo game or in, in the uh, Hawaii Rainbow Wahin, that they weren't the prettiest of wins. They had to kind of find those wins in unique ways where they were trailing in certain portions of the game. Uh, they had been kind of tested a little bit. And I, I was happy that that's how they won those games. And, and people may say, well, um, you know, casual fans, whatever, you kind of want to win the game by as much as you can, you know, kind of to relieve any uh, any worry or stress that you may have about winning that game. While that's true, I have I say what I said about winning those close games because it's the same sentiment I had in the semifinal game of the UNLV t- uh, Thanksgiving tournament when they beat George Washington, and it was a little bit closer than you would have expected. I said it because of what I had saw up until that point, which was UNLV was winning games by 20, 25, 30 points. They were knocking people out of the gym. I said they needed a game where it was, it felt like it was a coming down to earth game where they understood that not every game is going to be as easy as just walking in, blowing a team out by 25 and handling your business from there. I felt it was going to be similar to um, what they might see in conference play and obviously further on more where you're going to be tested. You're going to have to go to hostile environments. Um, If anything, I feel like maybe that tournament experience last year was kind of a predetermined exposure to what we got, what they're getting into now, which is going into the hostile environments. And so 
my ultimate conclusion about this is while it's great that they were playing great at home, we're still going to see a lot what this team's made of by the end of this four-game road trip. We're going to be able to take a conclusion away that either this team plays fairly well, home or away, or like the Golden Knights, it's one or the other, unfortunately. Um, now, they did drop the opener opening game of the road trip to Pacific, and I was kind of saying when you were gone that I kind of liked how close the games were against uh, Hilo and the Rainbow Wahine because I didn't like Hilo. I liked it for the fact, the same reason I liked the George Washington game. It brought the team back down to earth and made them realize we're not knocking people out the gym by 25 every night. We're going to have to find ways to win games that aren't the prettiest, but we're still going to have to make enough plays to win those games. Did you mention Texas Tech from last year? Texas Tech was a game they could have won. It wasn't the fact, it wasn't like they just walked in and oh, we're just happy to play Texas Tech. You know, it's a Power Five opponent, it's great national exposure, all that. They took the same mentality they had against Texas Tech and they carbon copied it to Arizona in the tournament. That's cool that we're here. We're also here to win. We're not just happy to be here. We're here to actually win the game. Now, the reason why I brought up, pardon, the reason why I brought up uh, Texas Tech was because, I, as I just mentioned on Monday, I talked to Lindy about it and plain and simple, I, I kind of questioned uh her scheduling just a little bit i was like lindy these are four game road trips but at the end of them like you're finishing them off with all due respect to these previous teams you're ending them off with the toughest of the road trip and she highlighted sure she uh, alluded to what happened last year as well well we also got a week off like i you could look at it a couple different ways you get a week between opponents yeah you have a pretty tough opponent coming up but one of the things that she mentioned was she was excited about the possibility of not well her and the team was excited about the possibility of not being favored in the game i said lindy is that where we're is that where we're headed right now this is what you this is what the team has to do to to, to be motivated at this point of the year but let's talk about it it's going to be on espn plus and as of right now where are the numbers The numbers aren't up, man. So now you know what that means. I need you to hold it down for a split second while I go find them because I know they're up somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's – look, I don't think we're going to be talking about the Lady Rebels being quote-unquote underdogs a whole lot this season. I think that was more so last season where people didn't really expect this team to take the jump they did, maybe outside of the building. I think there's a lot of – understanding within the building that they were going to take that jump. Most casual fans didn't expect that to happen last year. Now that UNLV is on everybody's radar, I don't think it's going to be more of a surprise to people. I think it's going to become more of an expectation to a lot of people that UNLV, similar to what you said earlier, we don't really have to worry about them being in the tournament. if they're As far as if they're going to be in or not, we kind of just almost put them in pen like, yeah, they're going to be in. It'll be somewhere in this field. We don't know where, but they'll be in somewhere. Matt, I have bad news for you. Can you guess? What's that? As of right now, I do. I believe it's too early to look at some of these numbers. But 
We got a Saturday game, or excuse me, a Sunday game. That's probably why. If it was a Saturday game, we would have the numbers out. But it's a Sunday game, 1 p.m. So as of right now, no numbers are available. I'm still going to probably try to work my way throughout the show and see if I can figure out something. Um, But I will say, let's just say that this team does head into this game as underdogs. Let me see if I can go find some information on Oklahoma State really quick. I want to give you guys some numbers. So the Oklahoma State Cowgirls this season, they are, in terms of record, they're 8-2 on a year. They're 5-1 at home. Now, if I can look at some of these team statistics, I would like for you to try to gauge. There we go. So they're averaging close to 80 points per game. And opponents are averaging just over 63 points per game. So they're hovering around close to a 17-point difference. On the other end, for UNLV, they're holding opponents to a point less, 62% or 62 points on a year. However, they're scoring about 71 or excuse me, 78.1 on the season. So both teams are hovering around the same. If you had to predict that UNLV headed into this game as the underdogs, they are plus what? Plus four. What's the highest you would go? Plus six and a half. I'm not mad at the half. I was sitting at six. If I see anything larger than plus six, they still haven't recognized it. If this happens. I don't disagree with the sentiment that they should be underdog. Given What's the, the lowest you would go? Pick them. I'm not going any lower than three. I think they might be. I think they should be underdogs because of the the level of competition. Considering that Oklahoma State isn't a Big Twelve. Granted, we're not in non-conference. I mean, we're still in the non-conference. So there's only so much you can take away from that. But if I had to give you guys an idea in terms of what the schedule looked like. For Oklahoma State. You ready? I'm not going to get an exhibition because it doesn't matter. UT Rio Grande Valley. Northwestern State, Oral Roberts, who we know a little bit about, right? You want to guess that Oral Roberts score? 80 to 58. 103 to 66. Damn. I'll move on. Missouri State. They lost to Kent State by three. They beat Florida State, they beat Harvard, and they lost to Purdue. They beat North Texas, they beat LMU, and then the Rebels come to town. Followed by Air Force, for whatever it's worth. So we get to have a little fun in our personal life just to see how these two teams perform. I don't like this game. I don't know, man. And for whatever it's worth, too, if I wanted to get the, the scores of their wins, 95 to 63, 89 to 50. Are you okay? <laughs> I had the same reaction when you said the World Robert score. I looked at that and was like, oh, damn. This has by far been my favorite part of the show. Um, so Oklahoma State average margin of victory in terms well, these average scores so far in their wins. I'm gonna get their losses too in hindsight. Their wins ninety five to sixty three, eighty nine to fifty one, one oh three to sixty six, seventy three to fifty four. 79 to 77, shout out to Florida State. 71 to 62 to Harvard, 82 to 64, 86 to 65. You want to know their losses? Mm-hmm. 
59 to 56 to Kent State, 71 to 65 to Purdue. UNLV gets this win, even with a loss to Pacific. They probably should be ranked. If not ranked, they should be getting votes, which they should have already been probably getting. I wonder if they are getting votes. Are they finally getting votes? They didn't get votes last week. Let me look. They should be. They're 9 and 1. That you also had a close game with Hilo. Did that really matter? Hell yeah, it does. When you're playing in a middle school, like, look like an auditorium, yes. We talked about that. I <laughs> performed band recitals in a joint like that. I'm serious. I thought it was a joke. I was like, this is where y'all play? <laughs> I, no disrespect to Hilo. Sorry, Hilo. Um, <laughs> completely random. We're about to get the football right now. We're getting the hell out of here. My dad's tip is about football, so we're going to go and, and get that. However. Yeah, no, you and we didn't get a single vote. I thought so. They gonna learn. All right, let them be plus six. Let them be more than plus six. <clears throat> Completely random. What's up? I was like, you be making a trip on your way to the Raider game if they're more than plus six. Is that, is that a, a phone call into somebody? Hey, Dad, want to do me a favor? <laughs> Completely random. Before I get to my dad's tip in. Let me see. My dad's tipping is about the Niners. So we'll get to Thursday Night Football right now. T-Pain is performing at halftime tomorrow. Or Sunday. How you feel about that? Extremely happy. Probably going to be the best thing I'm going to see. Remember when I said that the Death Star is kind of the place where dreams come to die? Let's move on. I'm just saying, playoff dreams could come to die. And it ain't going to be for the opponent. I don't think y'all want to hear my response to that. Because you said they, they may die on Sunday? Oh, no, they probably will, actually. Oh, okay. okay, I just want to be it's just, and it, it, To Mark Davis, it's, it's not the opponent's dreams. Just to give you a hint. <laughs> we'll get to that game in a second. Cause we'll get to that in a second. My dad's tipping. Are the 49ers a real threat? As long as that defense looks the way it is. As long as they can run the ball, you could put anybody in that quarterback spot. <laughs> I said it before. When 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 Jim, my dad, we haven't looked at my dad's tip in. My bad. But as soon as Jimmy went down, we said it. Well, I said it in the group chat. I don't know that Baker's going there. I like Baker there. But for all the reasons why I like Baker there, it's probably why Brock could do it. <laughs> like, he's, he's fine. Anyway. Are the 49ers a real threat? As a fan of another NFC team, the Niners do worry me. With an already potent offense with the likes of George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and then you add the ultra-elusive Christian McCaffrey on top of an already stingy defense, it's not hard to take notice of them. We all know that injuries can sometimes rock a team to their core. After losing their play caller, Jimmy G, no problem. I'm going to pause right there, Dad. They lost Trey Lance. Then they lost Jimmy. And now my dad's tip in continues. Brock Purdy comes in and pretty much picks up where Jimmy left off. As a matter of fact, he seems to make the offense even more dangerous. 
Can't wait to see how he holds up when the team really dials up the pressure. But till now, he has held his own, and that's the scary part. With the talent that he has around him, he doesn't have to do much. We've talked about it before. People love to be like, Mark Sanchez was a bad quarterback. Mark Sanchez was a bad quarterback. Mark Sanchez was a quarterback that was really, really good if he had things working for him. Now, with the the talent he has around him, yeah, with the talent uh, he has around him, he doesn't have to do much. They are pretty much asking him to manage the game and simply don't lose it. Even an injury to Debo Samuels didn't slow this team down. They're on a roll right now and wrapped up the NFC West tonight with the win over Seattle. I was going to mention Geno Smith. And now they're 10-4. and They can't drop any lower than the third seed in the NFC with the possibility of moving up, but probably not enough to take over the number one spot from Philadelphia. This is going to be fun to watch. Just hoping I won't be watching them too long in the playoffs. Be careful what you say. Because you might not have to worry about them at all if y'all are out of the playoffs. So I wouldn't say that just yet. Or I would just choose my words and change it up. Um, But you just talked about it right now. On Sunday, if the Raiders lose, the Raiders will officially be eliminated from postseason contention. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are in town. I haven't touched Allegiance Field um, during the game, mainly because I don't need field access during the game. But I have never wanted to be on the sideline more than I've wanted to be on the sideline this season than I have for this game. Again, I've never been in a room with Bill Belichick, at least knowingly. Bill already looks intense. Bill could say that he doesn't do anything different when it comes to uh, his pupil on the other side of the field. Nick Saban says things like that. And then I watch Nick Saban coach against people that he used to mentor. That don't look like the same Nick Saban. (laughs) Kirby Smart has been able to give him a little pow-pow recently, but... I haven't seen too many people, even if they beat Bill Belichick, give him a pow-pow. I feel like this is going to be a good old-fashioned pow-pow to Josh McDaniels. I said before this game could be low scoring. This New England defense is banged up. But if this team executes what I believe the game plan of stopping Josh Jacobs. I don't think this game is close. I could see it being 23 to seven, something like that. If it's something like that, it's a good old fashioned pow pow. Oh, and go home by the way. You want to add to it real quick? And then we'll move on to uh, one last football topic I got. I mean, yeah. I, I think if it's if the if if the game is like that, the Raiders aren't winning. That's how the Patriots want to win. It's an ugly football game. The Raiders can win this game if it's high scoring. They're used to getting into the shootouts. If this game is slow or sloppy or ugly, Patriots are gonna win this game. I think the Patriots, and even that banged up Patriot defense, while Kyler did go down early in that game, 
still only held Arizona to 13 points while their offense turned around and scored 27. So that Patriot offense that a lot of people like to give a hard time to, they found a way to hung 27 on Arizona. I like the fact that <laughs> Mac Jones uh, was was visibly upset on the sideline a couple of weeks ago because Bill wasn't letting him throw the ball. Those are things that we would credit Brady for when he was there. Mac is in his second year. I like it. And not only do I like it, I like it a lot. At some point, I told you, what do, you, what do I always say? You need a certain level of arrogance to be successful. Bill, let me throw the damn ball. My job is to play quarterback, fam. What are we doing? Running backs are going down left and right. What are we doing? He might let Mac throw the ball this game. May not be a terrible idea, especially if you look, look across the line and Max Crosby's running at you. I told you, Deron Harmon is a great guy. I'm testing his secondary if I'm Bill Belichick. Bill, that's what Bill, Bill Belichick always does. He tests your least your. He takes away your strongest link, and he exposes your weak, weakest one. We'll see if Chandler Jones can obviously continue to stri- the stretch of, of great games that he's been able to string together. However, you just talked about the Condor right now, the leader of this of this Raider defense. I think with everything in Bill's power, I told you before, first, stop Josh Jacobs. You do that, we'll figure the rest out. I think the second thing, find 98. Wherever he is, Mac, make sure you shift the line. Make sure you send a tight end in motion. Wherever he is, make sure there's a second guy. And I already At told least him. I get to see T-Pain. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I mean, going I, down to the stage for that one. And I mean, I already said that <clears throat> the next four for the Raiders – that sideline matchup is going to be really lopsided in probably all four because you got to go against Belichick, Tomlin at his place, and then you got Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid. Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid. Good God. Yeah. Have fun with that one, Josh. The Raiders go 5-12 and 12 this season. I think Raider Nation is five, up in flames. 5-12, and 12 and you lose the last five of the five in the season. We always talk about what they can't afford. Uh, and for a $2 billion stadium, we always talk about what they can't afford. Never mind. It seems like they can't afford John Gruden because they still paying him off for a good time in a long time. <laughs> that's what they – that's why they – that's what everybody was saying, oh, we just fired Josh McDaniels. They looked up at like, fam, we still paying the coach before him. Never matter where you in LV. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> What is my last topic? Oh, it's UNLV related. <laughs> my bad. UNLV. It's UNLV football related. Even uh, worse. <laughs> my bad. Shout out to Barry Odom for a couple of different things. Barry Odom uh, was tweeted about, was mentioned in two different tweets, I believe, from high schools earlier this week. And uh, I'm going blank on the last team. Mike Gramala tweeted it. Maybe I can find it. Um, I don't even have the time to find it. Uh... 
this disturb you that UNLV is going to be paying Marcus Arroyo the next two years? It disturbs me that they think that he's disturbed. I don't think he's disturbed at all. I'm <laughs> chilling. He's like, I get a check how after, how often from that place, and I'm I don't got to show chilling. up. You pay me to stay home? All right, bet. I told you, if I was Marcus Arroyo, there would be one thing that I'm tight about. Don't sell my damn hats in y'all store. Nope, that's that's the head. one thing I'm mad about, because that's, that's like royalties. That's fine. I'm sick about that. I get a percentage. I absolutely <laughs> get a percentage, or I take them down. Right. You Because he, when he first came, he said, this was my boy that made these hats. Cool. That's still my boy. Like, I will make sure he takes them. That's that, That's when you realize who your friend or not. He probably His boy probably looked at them checks and was like, you want me to take them out of what? How many hats did we see at the MGM? A lot. If I'm Marcus Arroyo, I'm walking in snatching hats off of people's head. I will give you your money back right now, but that's that's not going to work for me. And I think people had said that. Uh, and it's midnight. I think people had said that um, the only caveat to Marcus Arroyo's pay buyout is he has to be actively looking for a job. Marcus Arroyo could be like, that's cool. I'm on LinkedIn every day looking at jobs. I'm not, doesn't mean I have to apply. I can Def- look all you Word. <laughs> Def- matter of fact, I seen. Never mind. I almost said something. I almost said something. <laughs> I think I saw it as a joke one time UNLV had posted. It wasn't a joke, dog. It was an accident. Desiree said it was an accident. Desiree said she didn't know how it happened, but it was an accident. No, it wasn't. Y'all did that, and y'all was mad that we was mad. Like, what you mean? They was probably like, "Damn, why so many people applying? What, what did we put?" Oh, I told you, dog. I started to do it. I was, you can I got. Hey, man, I've been breaking down football for at the time fourteen years, something like that. Hey, <laughs> my Madden no, skill gone crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm stupid on Madden Ultimate Team. What's up? <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, that's the way Mark. I'm joking, guys. I'm joking. You guys know the only coach I feel like that about is Brandon Staley. Um, no, but no, but Barry worry. Odom, he got the controller on the side. No, he keeps it with him. No, I'm telling you, if I'm if I'm somebody, I'm I'm smacking his headset off, bro. Like, what are you doing? Um, no, but in all seriousness, when we wrap up the show, uh, Barry Odom was mentioned by two different high schools earlier this week about mending fences that uh, previous programs, one in particular, didn't. Uh, do a lot of reaching back and that was obviously continued strays that Marcus Arroyo continues to catch in the aftermath of being fired from UNLV but in addition to Barry Odom reaching out to local high schools for talent at this point he also reached back to a, a legendary coach at a couple of different levels you know how I feel about legacies and things of that nature. Not going to lie to you. I saw Bobby Petrino was coming to Las Vegas as the offensive coordinator. Do you know my initial thought? No. I bet you Doug Brumfield was a big reason why he came. I don't know if he tells Doug to get down. I don't even know if Doug is his cup of tea. But I understood the name that Bobby Petrino was. And I looked at Barry Odom and I said, you know what? We talk about it all the time. Guys that don't know what their strong suits are. 
He's a defensive coach. Everybody wanted to know what was – Jesse Merrick tweeted it. Everybody wanted to know what the offense was going to look like. You're going to bring in an offensive mind. Wouldn't shock me compared to the history and just the way football is when hires like this are made. I could see Barry telling Bobby, I want nothing to do with that offense. You got it. Linebacker coaches, D-line coaches, y'all don't get the same luxury. I'm in y'all ear all game. We talked about it before. I'm going to curb my enthusiasm. But I do believe that there's something to be said about what Barry Odom is building already as a foundation here in Las Vegas. And you ain't going to like my reaction to Bobby Paterno. Or Petrino? Petrino. Why? I don't like it. Why? Remember the thing? We remember the most about you based off the last thing you did. That is indeed true. For those that don't know, go look up the last thing Bobby Petrino did and probably what he's most remembered for. I said legacy, bro. It ain't the best legacy you want to leave. And it and the craziest thing, most of it doesn't have to deal with football. Even, even, and that's what's so funny too, because this is just what's so interesting. I thought I was ending the show, but I'm not. Um, that's what's so interesting about what I was getting ready to say, because obviously I'm talking football, but I was, you you know how I am. There was going to be a time we were coming in here prior to the start of the, to the college football season and probably prior to the start, to the uh, end of this one. And we're going to address the fact that he's in Las Vegas on a campus where they are daring to be diverse, right? Daring to be different. We gonna see. We're gonna see. And people should be able to mature and obviously grow. But certain things also need to be Disgust anytime they come up, especially because a lot of times these sports don't allow people that look like me to live down certain things. So we have a certain obligation to withhold. I'm pretty sure Bobby knows that too, right? He's at the you're gonna have to show me phase uh, until proven otherwise gonna have to show me i'm gonna let it in right there i'm gonna let it rock right there until next time guys keep on talking <laughs>